no, no, even better yet. You're, you live in the city. You have to get up really early, catch the GO train, go into yeah. the city for work. <laughs> but you don't even have to do your hair in advance, because guess what? Now you can do your hair on exactly. the train, on your way to work. You're listening to Power in Heels with Macy McLean and Whitney Coonan. Thank you to our sponsor, Mackenzie Lake Lawyers. Hey, and welcome to this week's episode of Power in Heels. I'm Macy McLean. And I'm Whitney Coonan. Each week, we select one woman who is a trailblazer in her own life and her career to bring onto the show. Not only will we uncover her secrets to success, we also hope to inspire other young students just like Whitney and I. To learn more about our show and to hear the stories of other remarkable women, check out our website, www.powerinheels.ca. Without further ado, here's Whitney to introduce today's incredible guest. This week, we are fortunate to not only have one, but two incredible ladies joining us on the show. They are the founders of Lunata Beauty, a company that is on a mission to free women from cords and revolutionize the hair industry. They have created a line of innovative and cordless hair tools that are changing the way we think about hairstyling forever. We are honored to welcome the amazing Monica Abramov and Stacey Bogoslavska to the show. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So I just want to start off and uh, maybe you guys can tell us a little bit more about your company, Lunata. Yeah, sure. So we've been around for about three years now. Um, and like you mentioned, we're really on a mission to free women from, from cords. So everything that we do supports that mission. So we are currently the only company that is focusing solely on cordless hair tech. Um, and we've gone from, you know, one skew three years ago to by the end of this year, we'll have about 35 to 40 SKUs. Um, we're found in about 16 different retail partners across North America and, um, the UK as well. Um, and yeah, like I said, our, our main products are, you know, the cordless hair tools. So cordless curling iron, um, cordless flat irons, and then of course, supporting products. So dry shampoo, styling products, brushes, clips, et cetera, that all support not only, you know, freeing women from cords, but also supporting that on the go lifestyle and really prolonging the life of your blow dry and extending the time in between hair washes, which we all as women hate doing. <laughs> True. That's really awesome. And I keep saying that this is the product I never knew I needed, thinking that I could do my hair in the car if I'm running late. Like it's just, like, it's amazing. And I, I love it. <laughs> it's evolutionary. Exactly. Thank you. Um, I'm really curious to know, how did you two meet and what drove you to start a business together? Um, so Monica and I were introduced uh, by um, a, a friend of mine who I went to high school with. Um, I think he was friends with Monica's husband at the time. And Monica had started another company. Uh, it was called shopbake.com. So it was a bakery marketplace, sort of like Uber Eats meets Etsy meets Shopify. Um, and at the time I had a marketing agency, so we got introduced by this friend and I was like obsessed with what she was doing and asked if I could join the company and if we could work on it together and, and really kind of skyrocket it. Um, we were pretty successful up until Uber Eats came to Canada and had free delivery and our delivery was $15. So we couldn't really compete with the big giants coming in. So that's sort of how we met is, is through business, through our previous business. Were there any 
major lessons that you learned from that previous business that you found transferable with this new one? Yes, a lot of lessons. <laughs> um, you know, it was it was sort of like our our first big venture, uh, which needed funding from investors and which needed a lot of um, yeah, like capital from outside partners. And because it was sort of our our first business that was like that, I think. Uh, we both really were quick to jump on taking other people's advice. Um, and we felt like, you know, if we, if we met with a potential investor and he or she was to give us advice, we felt like they were gods and like we needed to um, listen to what they were saying and potentially change our business to what they were saying. Um, but over time we became more and more confident in our our mission and what our company is like is supposed to be. And with Lunata, you know, we're, we're very much driven. We understand exactly where we want this company to go. And oftentimes we do get a lot of bad advice um, and it, it helps us, you know, now not to just jump on that advice. Um, so that's one of the, like the biggest lessons I think we learned is just don't, you know, don't take advice from people you think are you know have all this experience or, or maybe somebody who's like the advice that you're getting and it might not fit for your business for sure um how did you guys choose your business name of lunata is there a special meaning behind it or anything so yeah it's actually my son's names um so lucas and nathan um and then we also have now that stacy has given birth to her little girl we also have a collection um, called Belisa, which is a mashup of her uh, little girl's name. So Isabella. Um, so definitely rooted in, in meaning. Um, we were racking our brains trying to figure out names for both. Um, so we figured, why not get back to kind of that meaningful emotional connection? Um, and they sound great too. So it worked that's out. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And that's so sweet to like name them after your children and have them involved in it a little bit as well. That's, that's really sweet. Um, now you've managed to create this incredible line of revolutionary products. And I mean, they're all so cool, but can we talk about the first product that you ever launched? Can you tell us um, where the idea came from and your process from the idea phase to finally being able to launch it? Yeah, sure. So um, Monica and I had this other business that we were uh, building, shopbake.com. And we went to Ireland on a trip to um, a big conference called the Web Summit. And before we went on this trip, we had lined up a bunch of meetings with investors and potential partners, and we wanted to pack light. So we wanted to just bring two carry-ons, and we decided we would bring one flat iron that we would share on the trip. Um, it was super expensive, $300 um, iron by a very reputable brand. And we took it on our trip. We got to our Airbnb. We had all of the um, converters and adapters and everything when you travel. And we started getting ready for these meetings, plugged in the iron, and it short-circuited. They almost blew up the Airbnb um, and broke itself. Oh, no. So. We had this situation and, you know, like you have all these like important things, whether it's a date or a meeting or whatever else. And if you're depending on this tool to get ready, 
it kind of just like put us in a bit of a, you know, we obviously had to make do, but uh, it just put us in a bit of a sour, sour mood. And we always kind of had it in the back of our heads. Like, how is there all of these cordless tools, like toothbrushes, electric shaver, or like razors? Um, and why are our heat tools not cordless and not dual voltage? So when we ended up coming back to Canada, it was always in the back of our minds. So we started to do a lot of research and ordered almost like every cordless iron or cordless uh, curling iron that we could find on the market to just see, you know, what was out there. Um, could Is there anything that's actually good? And 99% of it was either mini size. So it wouldn't do anything for your hair. Like maybe if you had some bangs, you had to <laughs> touch up um, or it was butane powered. So it was, it was pretty much something that maybe like my mom used back in university, but it, it had these little butane cartridges and you had to find them and use them and you couldn't fly with it. So we were looking at all of these tools and thinking, okay, like there's really no innovation that has happened in this industry in many, many years. So one of the tools that we found was a full size flat iron, um, but there still were a lot of things that we wanted to change. So we reached out to the factory that produced that flat iron and asked them, you know, how many do we need to order for you guys to make these changes to, um, make it that it lasts longer, that it gets hotter. Um, and they came up with a very random number. I think it had to do with uh, just shipping wise, but they asked us to order 105 of these, of these flat irons. And then they would, you know, they would make the iterations that we wanted them to make. Um, so Monica and I really, we thought this was going to be a side business. Um, Monica had sold a lot of things um, online in the past, just as like side hustles. And so did I. So we ordered the 105 units. We built a website around it, did social media accounts, um, branding. And we, um, like during this time, just to kind of preface, um, Monica and I both went back to the corporate world. So, you know, ShopBake or Uber Eats came to Canada and we ended up closing it and we went back to the corporate world and this was going to be a side hustle. Um, at the time, Monica, in the job that she had, she was working with retailers, um, getting, she was working for a SIM card company. So she had some experience with Best Buy and a couple other retailers. And so she said, why don't we try and send one or two of these irons to some buyers just to see like, you know, what would happen. Um, so we were doing all of this out of uh, Monica's living room, like shipping these hundred units, 105 units. And we sold out super quickly. Like we just posted about them on Instagram and Facebook oh. and, and just told a couple people that we were doing this and we sold out, and we had sent, I think, maybe three or four of the units to um, some um, buyers, assistant buyers that we found on LinkedIn. And we ended up getting a call from Nordstrom in the U.S. It was interesting because it wasn't from Canada. It was from the U.S. And the buyer said, you know, I have a couple questions about the product. Um, I'm wondering why it's not mini-sized. So we explained to her that mini size just doesn't really work. And we really want this product to be um, 
amazing. So she sat on the product for, I think, three months. And all of a sudden we get out of nowhere. We thought that they, they were just not interested. And then out of nowhere, we got a call and they said, you know, all the buyers in our office have been using it. We keep it um, in the office and we really love it and we want to bring it in stores. Um, And we pretty much had to become a company in one week where (laughs) we went from like dining table (laughs) assembly line to uh, Monica, like learning uh, crazy documents for shipping and factories and certifications and, you know, me getting us insurance and financial like stuff. So um, in one week, we pretty much became a company. So we started off with what is called like a white label product. So a product that is already being produced by a factory, which we took, put our branding on it and made a bunch of iterations. But from the very beginning, we wanted to make our own products from scratch using, you know, engineers and and really uh, building it from scratch. Um, And so with the money that we made from those 105 units, we started to work with engineers on our um, current products. So that was sort of the first foot in the door and for us to, to really be the first to market um, to start the company and see if whether our idea was actually something that people were interested in buying to test, to test it out. That's a really cool story. And I've always been so curious to know how someone goes from this idea to then creating it and having it be a reality. So that was very insightful. And thank you for sharing that with us. No worries. Yeah. I think it's, it's really important not to sit around for years developing one thing because you know by the time you finish developing it technology has changed so much and you've spent years and years working on that one product so we really we wanted to figure out how do we test the market and get into the market quickly while we're still working on our big you know big items that's so true you're listening to and heels. Well, that was a fantastic song. Thank you so much for suggesting that one. I, I love that song so much. That was great. <laughs> I just want to ask a little bit about the fact that maybe you're not the only company on the market anymore that offers cordless products, but I want to know how you plan and, and how you work to stay ahead of the competition in this area. So we really put innovation and technology at the forefront of everything that we do. We're not a company that started off with corded hair tools and we're offering cordless as, you know, a convenience factor or as an extra or an add-on, which is what many companies and many other brands who have attempted cordless have kind of done. So, you know, their main focus is their corded tools or their other styling products or what have you. And then, you know, maybe they've seen us in the market and, um, you know, thought we need to jump on cordless as well. However, there's been a lot of, with with many brands, there's been a rush to get their products out the door. Um, So these products end up being, you know, for lack of a better word, Um, (laughs) half-assed. You know, either they're they're mini, so they're not powerful. So all the, the same things that we you know, discovered before even launching this company, those things haven't really been addressed. So even if 
they've started to come out with battery powered products. They're not high powered enough to actually hold, you know, the high heat that we get to. Our products are the only ones on the market that reach 450 degrees Fahrenheit, which by the way, is the maximum um, allowed temperature in North America. So, um, you know, like I said, it's, it's just, it's really important for us to not just come out with cordless just because it's, you know, something that we feel like we need to have, but it's really the core focus of our business and all of our R and D and all of our innovation is centered around that. So. Mm-hmm. And you could have just um, created straighteners, for example, and stopped there, but instead you also decided to add on hair accessories, curling irons, all of that. Why, what made you choose to diversify your products? And if you had to pick one, what would you say was your favorite? Um, well, you know, first of all, my favorite, I'll just go with the favorite. And this is the <laughs> product that we, we had dreamt of creating even before our first product. And that is our cordless um, convertible curling iron and wand. So um, when Monica and I first started working on this, I would use a curling iron with a clip and she would use a wand so it doesn't have a clip on it. And like, I personally could not use the wand at all. So whenever we'd be over at each other's houses or anywhere and she would bring the wand, I would literally be like, I have no idea how to use this thing. And she didn't love the one with the clip. So we were thinking, okay, why are there these two separate products? Why can we not combine these products and just have the clip removable? Um, So that was the product that we really, from day one, started working on. And it's still to this day, my favorite product, because now I've learned how to use the wand and I love it. And there's days that I want to use the clip or not. but just, you know, the heat, uh, the time that it lasts, like everything about that product is amazing. Um, the reason that we started to expand, there's a lot of different kind of expansions that we did do. So at first with Lunata, um, you know, it's a very premium brand and premium product and, and the price point is premium. Um, and so we had the products on that side. But then we started to get a lot of interest from the Targets and Walmarts of the world and a lot of our um, potential customers saying, you know, I I don't necessarily need all the whistles and, and stuff. And for me, it's just a bit of an expensive product. So we ended up uh, launching Belisa by Lunata, which has still super premium products that work really, really well, but that. Uh, are in retailers like Target, um, like Macy's, um, and have a lower price point. So that's one of the kind of expansions that we did. And, you know, accessories, uh, wet lines, sprays, those are all things that um, go together with our heat tools. And we handpick everything that we that we have. So it goes with the mission and, and goes with the products that we launch. Mm-hmm. We also wanted to um, create sort of, you know, when you buy a tool, for the most part, you're buying a tool and that's sort of, you know, the end of that. Um, so it doesn't necessarily, especially early on when we only had a few SKUs, it doesn't necessarily create that brand loyalty. Um, so we knew that creating these consumable products like styling products, dry shampoos would get people back in the door. Um, and we do a lot of sampling with them just because they are such amazing products, but the market is really saturated when it comes to um, you know, wet line and styling products. So getting those samples in people's 
hands and in their hair is vital for us to really, because we know that once they try them, they will love them. So that's um, created a lot of repeat uh, business for us as well. So, mm-hmm. oh, that's really interesting. And I mean, not only are you then creating a product <laughs> for everybody and with your line, but you're also, you know, drawing them back with with the uh, with the styling products as well. That's really cool. Um, now, I do want to ask about um, finding funding for your venture because, of course, that's a really big part of entrepreneurship. I want to ask how you guys did it and what you learned from the process. Um, okay, so I can speak to to this. Um... So finding funding and fundraising is, it's truly a full-time job. (laughs) Um, You know, uh, creating our products, building a company, setting up the company, that is um, for sure a very big thing to do, but the fundraising and, uh, you know, finding money, uh, meeting with investors, pitching to funds, it, it really could take over your life pretty much. So um, Monica and I, because we had that experience with our previous business, we did go through a lot of kind of lessons learned um, where we, we had a lot of time wasted maybe <laughs> with um, investors or angels. Whereas with on the Lunata side, we really realized, okay, um, we have to approach this from a standpoint of, creating like what is our wish list like who are the people we want to speak with who are our dream investors how are we going to approach them um instead of kind of just like throwing a net out there and and seeing who you catch in saying that we still did pitch to over 40 or 50 different investors and vcs throughout our uh funding um for Lunata. So initially, what happened is actually a little bit of like a a funny story. Um, When we first started the company, and we got into Nordstrom, um, we then started having discussions with Holt Renfrew in Canada. And the week that we found out that we would be um, in Holt Renfrew, I ran into Joe Mimran in um, a cafe. And pitched him the business just flat out in the cafe, just told him about the business, told him that we got into Nordstrom and told him that we got into Holt Renfrew. Um, And funny enough, there was this older gentleman sitting next to him, not someone he was sitting with, who turned around and said, oh, if you if you don't invest in this business, I'm going to invest in it. Uh, My wife with all her cords and my daughters with all their cords, like it drives me crazy. So Joe thought that we paid this guy (laughs) to sit next to him and say that. Um, (laughs) And he said, you know what, like if you come in and you pitch to this fund that he was a a part of and they're interested to invest, that he would invest. So that was that was like our first first um, investment um, in Lunata. Since then, we've raised from multiple um, angel investors and funds um, but yeah, I think like the biggest thing that, that I would say to anybody who's raising is, is really create that list, figure out exactly who you want, um, as an investor and go after that, them and, um, don't kind of cast a, a big net and see who's going to come because, you know, it, it's, that's not, it's going to waste a lot of your time and effort. 
Yeah, no, fair enough. And that's some really good advice. And in your search for investors, you actually decided to pitch on CBC's Dragon's Den. And this wasn't your first experience pitching to the Dragons as you both did it before with your first company. But can you tell us a little bit about what this experience's experience sorry, was like for both your first company and Lunata? Yeah, sure. So the first time we went on, um, it was it was very different. I feel like we were confident, but we didn't necessarily have the numbers to back it up. And you know how, you know, Dragon's Den is all about the numbers and you really need to be able to, not that we didn't know our numbers, we knew all of our projections and we knew, you know, our, our cost per acquisition. We knew all of that, our LTVs. The problem was we didn't have the actual revenue to back it up. So, um, you know, it was a bit of a crapshoot and we did get a bunch of offers. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, we just, it just wasn't right, I guess at the time and they never aired our episode, but it was a great learning experience. I remember how nervous we were in that green room. Um, and, you know, not to say that the second time around with Lunata, we weren't nervous, but it was almost like, you know, we'd done this before, um, we knew what was coming, we knew what, what to expect, especially walking into the den and, you know, you see the dragons there and you're like, it's just a very surreal experience <laughs> when you're there. Um, but with Lunata, it was just completely different. We had the numbers to back it up, even though it was early on. We had the retail partners to back it up. So we were like 100% confident and we went in there, not with the goal of just getting a deal, which was really our goal the first time around our goal was a bidding war <laughs> so we're like no no we don't just want to get one offer like we want who we want and we want a bidding war um to actually get there and we want to get exactly what we came for and that's exactly what we got on the show which was awesome we had four offers on the table um and it ended up coming down there was an offer on the table i think we came for 10 percent um for 250,000 and then someone offered 12%, but then they went back down to exactly what we asked for. So it was a, it was a great experience, um, you know, and, and everything surrounding it was amazing too. We had a huge, uh, you know, pre-COVID, <laughs> right before COVID launch party or screening party for it, where we invited all of our investors and partners and vendors. And it was just a great gathering to be able to kind of celebrate those those wins so um yeah great experience overall for sure yeah it sounds like quite the experience you're listening to power in heels um so i just want to talk a little bit about you two together and your journey um, of course, business partnerships are really important and having the right partner is incredibly important. Otherwise, the business can fall apart. So what do you think is the most important um, quality to have in a partnership? And how do you guys make sure that your partnership stays strong through the ups and downs of businesses? I think um, communication is key, of course. Um, Stacy and I have a WhatsApp chat going and like <laughs> we're in constant communication. Um, and, you know, we we had that business before right so we had a business before that we worked on together so we were able to have you know some some sort of experience with working together and we knew that we worked really well together and any 
issues or, 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 you know, disagreements, we can easily, like, we don't take it personally. Um, so I think that's super important. And we just, we know what our strengths are, um, you know, and we know how to delegate um, things to either one another or to our team. So, but I think, yeah, communication is definitely number one. Um, we run everything by each other, ideas and whatnot. And even to this day, we're still pretty, like we involve each other on almost every call, which we need to stop doing. It's not the best <laughs> use of our time, um, you know, and it's not the most efficient. So that's something that we're definitely working to like try to separate and, and you know, but, um, but yeah, communication is key. One more thing to add is I actually got this advice like a long, long time ago before I even met Monica about uh, business partnerships and you know, that being very, very clear about your goals, like your individual goals in a partnership are really important because let's say one of the partners is looking to sell a business and make millions of dollars and another is trying to build something and, and really excited about having um, a business with great employees and a family kind of thing. So it's it's really important to and, and we do that actually every year monica does like a vision board and we kind of you know talk about like what are our goals for the next year so we're both on the same page and not like kind of steering away from each other's end goals yeah that's so true because you can have goals together but then also to make sure that your individual goals for the company align i think that's definitely something that we should all look at um <laughs> If both of you could go back to the beginning of your journey with Lunata, knowing what you know now, would you do anything differently? I think that one of the big things is um, really weighing every opportunity properly and thoroughly. Um, in the early days, we would get so excited about kind of the, the flashy like names or retailers that we got into. Um, and what that would mean for the brand from a face value um, perspective. So, you know, we wouldn't necessarily crunch the numbers as well as we would. Um, and, you know, those, some of those opportunities ended up costing us a lot of money in the long run because they would cost so much to actually maintain. So especially retail partnerships are very expensive um, in many cases. So I think um, that's definitely something that, I don't know if we would do differently because at the same time it put us, you know, it got us to where we are now, but I think we would, we would weigh those opportunities a little bit better rather than just getting excited about, you know, um, sort of that, that name um, rather than the actual like business opportunity. Mm -hmm. No, of course. Yeah. Um, now I do want to talk a little bit more about just like how you mentioned, you know, the retail stores and whatnot. And because when you start a business, you then have to make a decision about whether you sell it independently or if you're going to go the retail route. So can you talk a little bit about how you guys uh, made these decisions and um, how, once again, you got into these stores? Yeah. So yeah. Um, basically with the retail, we really wanted to legitimize the brand because mm -hmm. don't forget, like this is still a consumer electronics product, right? So a brand new brand coming out in the market with hair tools is something where, you know, we had to really gain the consumer's trust and didn't want to look like just another gimmicky Instagram brand. Mm -hmm. So that's why we actually went um, retail first 
to sort of give it that credibility and legitimize the brand before going, um, you know, B2C essentially. And now, you know, over the last year and moving forward, we're really focusing more on that direct to consumer um, sort of uh, side of our business um, for multiple reasons. But in the early days, that's definitely why um, we chose to go that route. And, um, you know, our first retailer, I think Stacy already mentioned with, uh, with Nordstrom, but um, we found that one of the big hacks that we use and we always share is we would go on to LinkedIn and we would try to find the junior buyers because we found that those were the most um, sort of hungry to bring something really cool and innovative to the table. Whereas the senior buyers were inundated with requests. They would get samples on their desks, like, you know, every day essentially. And it's hard to sort of stand out um, through all that. So that was a strategy that really worked well for us in those early days. Now we have, you know, amazing reps um, throughout Canada and North America that, you know, will get us into these selected retailers and partnerships that we um, kind of almost handpick now, which is great. Um, but in the early days when it was just the two of us, that's, that's how we would go about it. Wow. That's a really cool strategy to, you know, do the opposite of, mo- of, of what most people would, think to do right you think oh no I want to talk to the boss I want to talk to the high reps because they're going to be able to make it happen but you're right sometimes yeah. they're just completely overloaded with the requests so it might not work but that's that's a really unique strategy um now so you started with the retail you started selling out in stores but now you also sell from your website can you talk a little bit about why you started doing that and when you started doing that um so we started doing it from the very very beginning okay. when we first had that 105 uh, units mm-hmm. um we created a shopify site and started selling through the site um but you know a lot of retailers and platforms like amazon um they don't really give you a lot of data and you don't really know anything really about your customers whereas when you sell through your own site you really get to know your customers. You can contact your customers. You can build a community around the customers. Um, you know, margins are also a lot better when you sell through your own site. But the data that we have access to really helps us uh, make decisions on future marketing, future product development. Um, you know, if we want to develop a new product, we can always test it out on our site. We can email all of our customers to get their insights. Whereas if we stick to retail and we stick to other platforms, we really cannot, you know, communicate with our customers and, and know more about them. So that's one of one of the biggest things. And we're building a big brand here. So we don't want to just sell it and, and not have um, any of that information and touch points with our customers. Yeah, that's really cool. And I mean, is that something that you suggest for other, you know, other entrepreneurs that are looking to sell a product like that? Do, do you think that having your own website is better than joining um, another retail, an online retailer? Or do you think it, it's situational? Um, I think it's, it's a bit of situational, but at the same time, 
you need to have some of your own ownership, right? Mm -hmm. And there's different types of businesses, right? There's businesses where people do wholesale and that's all that they do. And they don't need to um, have a lot of branding and put money into marketing and sales. And they just wholesale their products to um, other retailers and, and other stores and platforms. But if you want to build uh, a brand name and uh, a business that way, then yeah, you for sure have to have your own owned channels um, that you grow and a community that you grow and, and customers that you can actually get feedback from and demographics that you know, um, yeah. And that's actually a big thing that the retailers ask for now um, is, you know, what do your social media channels look like? Like what influencers are you guys working with? They really want to make sure that you're growing your brand um, sort of in parallel so that in turn that can drive more traffic to the product in store and to the store in general. So um, it's almost imperative now, I think, for the most part, especially when it comes to beauty to you know have those those own channels and build mm -hmm. your own community okay well that's really interesting yeah thank you for sharing that you're listening to power and heels Wow, three great song choices um now of course i have to ask what goals or dreams do you two have for the future of Lunata or maybe even beyond Lunata? Well, we've always had the goal of being leaders in, uh, in our industry and really having like a global uh, impact on the hair industry because we started off by seeing that the hair industry just wasn't really innovating and everything that we had uh, ourselves, our moms had and you know previous generations had so our main, main goal is really to become leaders in this, but also be known as uh, the company that innovates quickly and for people to really look out for what our next products are. Um, you know, we, we really look towards companies like Apple and Dyson that are always um, having products that are very innovative and revolutionary. And so with Lunata, we really think about every product, like, is there something really amazing about this? Um, and we're always working with engineers to, to make sure that that happens. Mm -hmm. No, that's really, it's awesome. And I mean, I, I really do think you guys are such a cool company and, and you're creating these products that are honestly changing the way that women will think about doing their hair. So it's fantastic. Um, now, I do want to talk a little bit about being women in an industry that, well, especially the entrepreneurship industry, is often male-dominated. Can you talk about your experience with that and maybe some stories or important lessons that you've learned? No, we have enough stories for, <laughs> for a book. But um, yeah, I think earlier on, especially with our last business, we came across this a lot more than we do now. Um, but we've had, and it was mostly when fundraising. So dealing okay. with um, male investors, um, especially in the tech world. But I, I had a male investor say to me, you will never be able to do this with two dogs, two kids and a husband. Um, you'll never be able to lead a company. Um, we he, had, he told, he told her to get rid of the dogs. You, I think yeah. you forget oh, about that part. Excuse he me. actually oh, told her you need to get rid of the dogs. 
<laughs> at least he didn't tell me to get rid of the kids right or the whole thing <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, but yeah I, I try to block that out of memory but um yeah we and then we had another individual look at us um and say like oh like why don't you just make this a lifestyle business and we were like that's not at all our goal here we're you know we're thinking way bigger than that and it's always something that we think to ourselves like would you ever say this to a man you know like oh why don't you make this a cute little lifestyle business um Stacy's got tons of stories oh my god I I was I was single like during the time of fundraising for our previous business so there's a lot of stories there that are just you know, cross the line in many, many different ways. Oh, I can only imagine. But yeah, like, oh like Monica was asked, like, how much her husband makes and why doesn't her husband give her money for a business? Jeez. Like, just horrible things like that. Also, just jumping to assumptions. I think mm-hmm. with, with Shop Fake, people thought that we were going to bring them cupcakes and that we were, like, uh, you know, girls baking cupcakes in our garage. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, man, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's unfortunate that that's the way it is. And this is some, that's something that, you know, women have to deal with in the industry, but hopefully it'll get better over time and, and things are changing. But oh my goodness, the stories that you're telling me are just unbelievable. Yeah, I can't imagine. <laughs> it's a yeah, lot I, better I think that, now. Yeah, yeah it's I a think. lot better now. And, and maybe that's also a, one of the reasons we may have gone towards retailers really early on is we wanted to make sure that nobody could think that we were little or like talk us down like that you know no like this is what we've been able to achieve like take us seriously there's almost like more pressure I find to mm-hmm. prove yourself almost yeah no, no that's that. that's very valid do you to have any advice for young women in entrepreneurship what advice would I have <laughs> well I think we both have some advice so I'll give my advice and maybe Monica can give hers Um, My personal advice is that any negative comments that you've received, any, you know, um, kind of like put downs or or people not believing in you that or any no's that you've received, really, you have to look at that as either um, something that's going to help drive you to prove them wrong or succeed or that no could potentially become a yes down the road. So don't, you know, don't sit around kind of being sad about whatever feedback you got or the no that you got. You can be sad for a little bit, but really it, for us, uh, it's always been, we, we figured out why that no was a no down the road and, um, or why somebody said something to us. And, and it's really kind of driven us to, to achieve what we've achieved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think um, to add to that, I think a lot of a lot of people, not just women, but a lot of people fear starting a new business because, you know, multiple reasons they're afraid to fail. Um, I think that's the number one um, reason that, that, you know, people might hold back. Like, what if I don't do well? What if I lose money? What if, you know, people don't like it? Um, so I think, you know, to, to achieve anything in life, you really do need to take risks. So do not be afraid of a failure. Um, and also, you know, I, I want to stress also the, the um, sort of the power of execution and planning is amazing and strategy is extremely important, but it's also important to 
just launch um, and to be first to market, depending on what you're doing, obviously, maybe you won't be first to market, but um, you know, sometimes it's better to launch and then perfect whatever it is that you're working on, but get into the market, you know, start building a brand, start, you know, building a community uh, around what you're doing. Um, so I think those are sort of our top takeaways. Yeah, I mean, that's some fantastic advice. And thank you guys so much for sharing that. I'm sure all of our listeners have definitely learned something new. And I mean, as much as I would love to talk to you guys forever, uh, <laughs> we do have to end the interview, which I'm very sad about. But I do want to take the opportunity to, to turn the mic over to you guys and give you a chance to say anything that you would like to our listeners. Um, so yeah, the mic is yours. Okay, so I think <laughs> what I would say, I think that the best thing to do is kind of put ourselves in the shoes of your listeners and kind of take ourselves back to when we were um, in university when, you know, at that age. And I guess like what I would say to your listeners is that anything is possible. <laughs> There's so many opportunities and so many uh, doors that are currently available to you. It's just whether you will, you know, open that door and whether you're going to take that opportunity and use it. Um and yeah, anything that you kind of set your mind to will will come through if you do execute on it, right? And actually put that foot forward. So that's kind of my my <laughs> my two cents. And on my end, I think that I would say, you know, don't think that, and, and I'm assuming that, you know, if you're listening to this, you are entrepreneurial and you do, you know, have thoughts of starting a business don't think that your first business will necessarily be your one shot, you know, at success. Um, when I was in university, I started a baking company. Um, so this was even before shop bake and I ended up opening a bakery, like a brick and mortar bakery um, when I was 25. And I thought that that was like my only chance at a business. And when it failed, I, you know, I was devastated and I was like, well, that, that's all for me, you know, like I'm going to have to just go back to the corporate world um, and, you know, be a corporate slave for the rest of my life. <laughs> but after that, you know, I launched a few other businesses and, you know, and still had failures. So, you know, it, it's not your one shot and one opportunity. And that goes back to, you know, don't be afraid of failure because every single business is a learning opportunity. Um, just looking back at how much we learned between, you know, Shopake and, and Lunata. So um, yeah, that's, that's what I would leave you with. <laughs> well, that was some amazing advice. And I mean, I learned so much today and I'm sure our listeners did as well. So thank you guys so much for joining us. We really, really, yeah, thank you. It. We really appreciate it. <laughs> thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for listening today. We hope you learned something new and even got a little bit inspired. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at powerinheels underscore radio, where we always reveal our next week's guest and our website www.powerinheels.ca for more exclusive content. Thanks again to Stacey and Monica for joining us this week. My name is Macy McLean. And I'm Whitney Coonan. Thanks again. And we'll see you all next week. Thanks again to our sponsor, Mackenzie Lake Lawyers combining strong traditions with fresh ideas. You're listening to Power in Heels.